Amen. Thank you, Brother Greg. You can be seated. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. I want to begin with verse 1 because I want to show you the context of what we're going to see when I tell you the verse where I'm going to be preaching from this morning. Jesus' ministry is powerful. It's moving along. The crowds are beginning to throng to Him. Everywhere He goes, there are hundreds and sometimes, yes, thousands and thousands of people flocking to Him. Jesus has some words to say to this crowd that we're going to look at this morning. He has some words to say that will speak directly to our generation, although the words that He spoke were pointedly and directly and specifically for His generation and His time but I think you'll see in just a few moments how it will speak directly to our hearts as a church and to your heart as an individual living in the year 2006 in this Milton, Florida. Luke chapter 12, look at verse 1 with me. It says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands, how many is many thousands? I don't know. Many thousands, several thousand, more than 1,000, probably more than 2,000. You get the picture? A lot of folks. When a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples saying, look at me, don't read anymore. See, now I'm hoping to use a little reverse psychology on you. I'm hoping later on you'll want to go home this afternoon and read what it says from there on because we're going to go from here way over into chapter 12. But let me just tell you this. He turns to his disciples. Now, now watch this. Many thousands of people, probably he's on a hillside similar to the Sermon on the Mount. That would be one of his favorite places. That way, you know, when the thousands gather, he can speak and it projects and all can hear. They didn't have wonderful fa fancy sound systems and lapel mics and all that back then. So probably on a hillside, many, many thousands of people have gathered such that they were trampling on one another. Now Jesus probably up the side of the hill, his disciples, his inner disciples, you know, the twelve were seated around him and close to him probably. He almost always in the height of his ministry had an entourage of scores of people, sometimes hundreds, that kind of followed everywhere he went. But he had the 12 that he had personally picked and said, you're the ones I'm going to confide in. You're the ones that are going to help me with this three years of public ministry. And so the Bible says that after these thousands had gathered down below him, such that they were trampling on each other, he turned first to his disciples and said, and then he begins to speak to them. You can read that later. Please don't read it now because I want, I want to go forward in just a moment. But he begins to speak to them personally about the kingdom, about the life they're living in now and how all of that applies. And, 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 and if you'll read all of chapter 12, you'll discover that most of that conversation of chapter 12 is directed to his disciples, even though there are thousands around. Now, you'll read on into chapter 12 and you discover that someone in the crowd shouts out, Teacher, I need you to decide something for us. And he had had a dispute with one of his neighbors. And so Jesus uses a parable and kind of straightens that out. But that's really the only interaction he has with this crowd for a long time. You read chapter 12 and you discover most of his interaction is with his disciples, the personal inner few. But then, when he opens his mouth to speak to the crowd, now he had already spoken to the crowd, but only because somebody had hollered something at him. But when he speaks to the crowd, he says the words we're going to look at this morning. Just a couple of verses, and it's kind of two chunks of thought that don't seem to go together. But you'll discover this morning, they go directly together. He kind of chastised, lovingly chastised the crowd. 
and he gave them a word of warning, a word of instruction, and it was for them. We're going to put it in its context, but folks, I'm telling you, it is also for us. The principle he puts forth, the instruction he puts forth is forever and ever and particularly in these trumpet days. So now remember, go to verse 54 and Jesus now turns his attention to the crowd after he's been speaking to the disciples. And in verse 54 of chapter 12, this is what he says. The Bible says, he said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, hmm, it's going to rain. And it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, hmm, it's going to be hot. And it is. You know, that sounds like Milton, Florida, doesn't it? I mean, I see those clouds building in the west. All of our nasty weather, almost all of it, some of it comes from the northwest, but almost all of it comes from the west. We see clouds building up in the west, and we say, oh, well, we're getting ready to get a Milton summer, summer thunderstorm and a little hail mixed in these days, you know. And of course, when that wind blows out of the south all day long and all night long, we know, especially if it's in the summer, boy, that next day is going to be a burner as that old hot air is going to be blowing off that gulf. And sounds like Milton, doesn't it? So he says, you, you know, he says, and when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Now look at verse 56. Then he says, hypocrites. Now, you know, that's kind of a powerful word in our culture to call somebody a hypocrite. And, and it is. It's almost an ugly word. It means, it literally means, it comes from a Greek word, it means play actor. Literally, you know, the earliest, earliest, earliest actors were called hypocrites. That's because that's what the word meant. It meant somebody who's pretending that they're something that they're really not. I think Hollywood are still a bunch of hypocrites. How about y'all? <laughs> but, but anyway, so, so, you know, the word was a tough word. It wasn't quite as ugly as we think of it now. If I look at somebody and say, you hypocrite, you get pretty hot pretty quick. It wasn't quite that tough, but it still pointed it out that they weren't always what they pretended to be. Now, what's he calling them hypocrites for? He just talked about, you know, you can discern, you can discern when the, you, you know how to tell the weather. You know all the signs of the weather when it blows, when it's coming out of the west, oh, it's going to rain. When the wind blows out of the south, oh, it's going to be hot. Boy, you know the signs of the weather. Yet there's thousands upon thousands of you gathered around me. Jesus said, you hypocrites. Why would he say that? Keep reading. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Now read the next couple of verses because it goes with it. I know it doesn't seem like it does. It seems rather disjointed and Bible students over the years have struggled with this next verse as to how it applies to the first verses and what it means. But you won't anymore after this morning. But let's... Listen to him as he continues, verse 57. So why don't you judge for yourselves what is right, he says. As you're going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled to him on the way, or he may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you'll not get out until you've paid the last penny. You stop and you go, what did he mean by all that? He starts off talking about the weather. <laughs> Then he calls them a bunch of hypocrites. Then he says, you need to be more discerning. 
Then he starts talking about a guy that's mad with you and who's hauling you off to court and you better make friends with a guy that's mad with you or you go to court and the guy is going to throw you in prison. And you say, what does all that have to do with anything, much less how does it fit together? It's very simple. It's very powerful. It meant something very powerful then, and it certainly means something very powerful to us today. Are you ready to find out what it is? Y'all hanging in there with me? Is everybody awake? It wasn't it funny to watch the children up here? They were all singing, and every now and then one of them would go, I said, yeah, baby, I know it's 8.30 in the morning. <laughs> I'm looking at some of y'all doing that too. So y'all hang in here with me now. It's going to be short but sweet, but I hope powerful, and I hope the Lord speaks it to your heart. Here's what Jesus meant by the first part. He said, you know what? I mean, he purposely took a long time before he spoke to the crowds. It was the height of his ministry. People were following him around everywhere. Watch this for the show. What do I mean by that? Oh, they knew he was going to work a miracle. <laughs> they wanted to see some blind man healed. They wanted to see some lame man walk. Of course, he was speaking words that were powerful, and many of their hearts and lives were being touched. But many of them were there just to kind of follow along. He was the latest thing in town. <laughs> Jesus knew that. And he was in the process of weeding them out. Folks, I'm telling you what, Jesus is still in the process of weeding folks out, even today. Millions and millions will be sitting in churches all over the world today. And Jesus, even in the churches, is still in the process of weeding out. Some pastors will say some tough things. I'm going to say some tough things this morning from the Scriptures. And Jesus is weeding out hearts. The Holy Spirit is still weeding out hearts. That's what He was doing. So He waits a long time. In fact, He waited so long, somebody in the crowd finally hollered out at Him and you know, tried to get Him to converse with the crowd. And He did for a second. He told a parable, settled the situation, but then went right back to talking to His disciples until you get to verse 54. And then He turns to the crowds and He says, Hey, everybody listen to me. Isn't it amazing? Thousands upon thousands are here. That's wonderful. <laughs> he says, I got something to tell you. He said, You guys know how to interpret the weather. Wind blows out of the south, and you say, man, it's going to be hot. And you're right. You see clouds building in the west, you say, it's going to rain. And you're right. He says, how is it then? How is it then that you cannot interpret the times in which you live? What did he mean by that? He was saying to them, I'm more than just the latest sideshow, folks. I'm God in the flesh. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one whom you've been waiting for, been hoping for, been praying for. And in case you have any doubt, go back to the scriptures that you're supposed to know and look at all the prophecies that have been and are being fulfilled in your eyes. Scores of prophecies were coming together before their very midst in one person such that it was impossible that it could be anything but him plus on top of that he was working miracles that only God could work plus he was working miracles that had been foretold in the prophecies that only the Messiah would do no man had ever done them before Jesus was now doing them no man would ever do them again and he was saying to them you can tell what the weather's going to be but you can't even see that the Messiah is standing in front of you can't even discern the times that you live in. Why? Oh, a lot of them were in synagogue every Saturday. But they didn't know the word. They didn't know it in its context. They had all of their little prejudiced ideas of how it was all supposed to happen. They had all their little theories and they read everyone else's books and listened to all the preaching on it, but they didn't know the word. And so when he came, they missed him. I'm so glad that's not happening in the Christian church today. Aren't y'all? <laughs> That's how he started the conversation. 
with the crowd. Prophecies fulfilled, miracles being worked. His whole life was screaming, Messiah is here. And they missed it. Folks, come on up a several thousand years. Come up to 2006, Milton, Florida. We're living now in the trumpet days. We have internet before our eyes. We have cable television before our eyes. We have 24-hour news, uh, uh, cable news shows before our eyes. We have talk radio scores of stations before our ears. We're surrounded with information. We see what's going on in the world. And yet there are so many Christians, not you because you guys know, but there are so many people sitting in churches all over the world that don't have a clue that we're living in the trumpet days they don't have a clue when they look at Israel over there that that was one of the most major prophecies ever to be foretold in the scriptures that for thousands of years there was no Israel but for thousands of years the Bible proclaimed in the last days Israel will rise again and in 1948 she arose and she's there and she's the center of all world news and there are Christians sitting before their TVs every day going hmm isn't that interesting what's on the next channel baby <laughs> And the word is ringing true. You hypocrites, you hypocrites. You can tell the weather. You can name your favorite movie star. But you don't even know the signs of the time that you live in. Trumpet number three, as we discovered, God put it right there. And John said, and I saw this thing fall to the earth. It polluted the waters. People died by drinking the waters. And the name of it is Chernobyl. It's wormwood in the English you know, but in the Russian it says Chernobyl. There it is. Trumpets 1 and 2. John said, I saw a great mountain all on fire thrown into the sea and people died and things were destroyed. World War II happens after that. Chernobyl happens out of all of that. Israel is reborn. Things are happening all over the world. Prophecies are being foretold. For you new folks, I've been preaching on this for a year. That's why I'm not going into great detail. But our folks that have been here for a while know, folks, the signs are there. The prophecies are there. The scripture is screaming. Things are happening. Things that no other generation has ever seen. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached into all the world, and then the end will come. And folks, we're the only generation that has ever lived on the face of the earth to see the technology to make it possible and to see it happening before our eyes. As I'm standing here preaching this morning, this gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached literally television, internet, radio, missionaries all over the world in every country, every culture, every tribe, every language, all over the face of the earth such that within the next handful of years, every man, woman, boy, and girl would have at least heard the gospel on the face of the earth. Out of eight billion people, everybody will have heard. And Jesus said, in those days, when that kind of stuff happens, Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, he says, then the end will come. What days do you reckon we're living in, guys? You think Jesus would say to our generation, we're more, more worried about hugging a tree and saving a whale, and so we destroy our babies and we tout homosexuality and two mommies and two daddies, and we tell our children they come from monkeys and there is no God, and what days do you reckon we're living in? Israel is reborn. The nuke went off. <laughs> Chernobyl happened. Its name's in the Bible. The gospel is being preached all over the world. Information, communication, technology has exploded and continues to explode. Everything Christian is now being called evil, and everything evil is now being called good all over the world. We've lost our ability as a nation to discern right from wrong. Common sense questions about whether we should secure our borders or not have escaped us. We don't know what to do or how to do it. 
or even if we should anymore. 20 years ago, that wouldn't have been a question. It is now. We've lost our common sense. What days do you think we're living in, folks? What do you think Jesus would say to our generation? You know how to tell the weather. Boy, you got a 24-hour weather channel. <laughs> you know when a hurricane's coming now. But you don't know the spiritual times you live in. That's what Jesus said. And he said to that generation when he was standing right before them, you hypocrites. I think he'd say to a lot of pastors in a lot of churches and a lot of Christians sitting in a lot of pews, not here. <laughs> I think he would say, you hypocrites. You go through the same little religious motions. You swap sermons among each other and copy each other's sermons and that have been preached for hundreds of years. And the times are moving on right before your face and the things are happening and prophecies being fulfilled and people are sitting in pews and they don't have a clue and they go on with life. What did Jesus say it'd be like in the last days? Like it was in the days of Noah. What's that? He said people just went on with life until the destruction came. You think it's kind of like that now? Now let's move into this little second part and see how all this fits together and what it would speak to our hearts. So the second thing he said in connection with that was, in verse 57, he said, So why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you're going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled to him on the way, or he may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turns you over to the officer, and the officer throws throw you in prison. I tell you, you not get out until you've paid the last penny. Well, you can see the obvious illustration of some guy who's got somebody against him who they're dragging, being drug off to court together, and, and it sounds like, in this particular English translation, it sounds like Jesus is saying, hey, you, you know, even if you have to compromise, you better get right with the guy that doesn't like you before something bad happens to you. Now, that would seem contrary to the Word of God and contrary to the teachings of Jesus because, yes, we should try to get things worked out with people we have things against, but we don't do everything. We don't compromise. It's not peace at any cost, right? So did he mean that? What was he saying there? And who is this adversary? And who is the magistrate? And who is the judge? And what does it have to do with this? Well, folks, in the English translation, it's a bit difficult to see it. I looked at three or four different English translations, and every one of them have a variation and nuance of translating from the Greek, and, and so that every one of them are a bit different, and I found that odd. In this particular case, I think, in my opinion, the King James Version comes the closest to hitting it on the head as to the original Greek translation. But look, since most of you have the NIV, if you have the King James, you're going to hear almost the very same words that I'm going to give you from the Greek that are translated into King James. They did a really good job in this particular verse translating it. But follow along with me, and I'm going to show you as we read in English what the Greek says, and then you figure out what Jesus might be trying to tell them. Then I'll put it all in context. Go back to verse 57. Jesus says, why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? Now verse 58 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you follow it in the English, and I'm going to paraphrase it back into English in a more literal Greek translation. I'm not going to burden you with all the Greek words. You can do that word study yourself with a concordance. But trust me, as your pastor, I'm going to put it in the Greek into an English translation. Here's what he said. As you're going along the way of life, along the way with... Now, it says your adversary, but the Greek word used there comes from the same Hebrew word that's translated Satan. The word Satan is simply the Hebrew word that means adversary. Who is our great adversary but Satan? As you're going along the way of life, remember he's talking to thousands upon thousands of people, many of them whom he had just called hypocrites. 
He says, as you're going along your way with Satan to the chief prince, it's translated in the NIV, magistrate. The Greek word there is the prince or to the chief one. As you're going along the way, Satan's by your side, you're headed to the chief prince. Folks, may I tell you, every one of us are headed for an appointment with the chief prince. Now, if you're covered by the blood, you're going to be all right. But if you're not, you're not going to be all right. But we are all headed to an appointment day with the chief one, the chief prince. So as you're going along the way with your Satan or with Satan in the way, and you're going towards that chief prince, try hard, and I don't like how the NIV translated it, because the Greek literally says, try hard to get away from him. Try hard to be delivered from him. Now, the NIV translates it, be reconciled to him. But now that you understand that means Satan, I ain't reconciling myself to Satan any day. Now, they didn't do it on purpose. They didn't mean we're supposed to reconcile to Satan. It was just their way of trying to interpret these difficult Greek words. But the literal sense of it is, as you're going along the way, Satan is, is, is right there beside you. you, have, you, you he's, your, he, he's the one giving you your orders, but you're headed to the chief prince. Try Do everything you can to be delivered from him along the way. Or he may drag you off to the judge. Who's the judge? Yeah, that's not a trick question. It's Jesus. Who is our adversary before the judge? Before, yeah, yeah Satan is. I mean, the Bible makes that clear. Jesus is our intercessor, though. If we're covered by his blood, he says, Satan, he belongs to me. You can just, you just quit talking about him. Amen? All right. Eight of you agree. Good. All right. Follow along. Or he may drag you off to the judge, who is Jesus, and then the judge turn you over to the officer, officer throw you in prison. And then that, that statement about you're not get out till you paid the last penny. The bottom line there is that was true in the earthly sense. In the spiritual sense, it will be impossible for you to pay the last penny because your debt is overwhelming and it can only be paid by the blood of Jesus. But follow me. Here's what Jesus is saying as I close this down. Now, this is very important and it's very personal to you and to me and to this church. Listen. Here's what Jesus would say. He would say to our generation, I think. He would say, folks, wake up. To our generation. That includes some of us this morning. He would say, wake up. You know so many kids in churches know the names of the seven dwarfs, but they ain't got a clue where the seven trumpets are or what they mean. Now, not at Hickory Hammock. <laughs> right? I mean, so many kids and people and adults can name the top ten countdown songs, but they can't tell you where the ten commandments are found, and they can't even tell you what they are. A lot of people can tell you the last four movies they watched. They can tell you the plot, the subplot, the actors, the stars, who produced it, who directed it, but they haven't read the four Gospels and they can't remember when. And a lot of those people are sitting in churches. Maybe some here this morning. And Jesus would say, Wake up, 
Don't be hypocritical. Don't think by doing some religious things, somehow you've got it all together. But rather, get in the Word, stay in the Word, live the Word, read the Word, understand the Word, study the Word, speak the Word, live the Word. Because the signs are there. Just like we know the clouds building in the West means it's going to rain. Folks, the trumpets are blowing. Israel is born. The gospel's going worldwide. We're living in the days just before the return of the Lord. It may be in our lifetime. If not, it's coming right after us. And Jesus is saying, wake up, wake up, discern the times. And if you're walking along the way with Satan, stop it. Get on your knees, give your life to Jesus because you may not know it, but Satan is in the process of dragging you before the judge and you will wind up before him. And if you're not covered by the blood of the Lamb, if you're not born again, you will be destroyed forever. In other words, Jesus was telling them then because here was the Messiah and some huge things were happening. He was saying, hey, this is not a time to play. It's a time to know the Messiah is before your face. Well, folks, I'll tell you what he would say to us in 2006. This is not a time for the church to play. Jesus is coming soon. This is a time for us to be doing missions. This is a time for us to be doing evangelism. This is a time for Christians to be pretty faithful in their Christianity. This is a time for Christians to be pretty real and not so much hypocritical in their Christianity. This is a time for Christians to give their money, to give their time, to give their lives, to give their energy, to give their efforts. This is not a time for Christians to see how pleasurable their life can be at the expense of serving Jesus. Amen? It's not a time for the church to preach little sugary messages. It's a time for the church to preach holiness and righteousness and commitment and faithfulness and and service and missions and giving. And and it's a time for the church to preach the signs of the time so that people know the time that we're living in. It's a time of excitement. It's one of the most exciting times in the world. Folks, turn on your television. Look what's going on in the Middle East. Look at all the rumblings over there. Something's going to blow in the years to come over there. And all of that is foretold in prophecy, and we will see it perhaps in our lifetime. The trumpets are blowing. These are the times for God's people. Enjoy your life. Have a blast, but be very, very serious about the things of God. Amen? Moms, it's Mother's Day. We uphold womanhood, women, motherhood in the highest of esteem. And I don't say that to patronize you. We do it because that's the Word of God. We do it because in our heart we know it's right. But you know, as we know, motherhood, womanhood, families, and marriages are being trashed. The radical homosexual agenda is doing it. Now we can have two daddies and two mommies and all that junk. The the radical evolution movement is doing it. The godless anti-Christian attack is doing it. The cultural norms are doing it. If ever we needed moms who claim to be Christians to be the godly Christian moms that the Word of God said, we know you can't be perfect and we're not looking for you to be perfect, but please be real, please be sincere, please be holy, please be committed moms and grandmoms. We need you, our children need you, our youth need you, our church need you, our culture need you, our nation need you, our world need you. Moms, please discern the times and be the best godly mom that you can be. Amen? Dad's goes for you too. I hit you on Father's Day. 
Young people, it goes for you too. We hit you every week. If someone's here today and you're living along the way of life and you've never bowed your knee to Jesus Christ as Lord, please hear me. You're going along the way right now with Satan. And whether you know it or not, he's dragging you off to the magistrate right now. He's accusing you every day before the God that created you. He's saying, look at him. He won't bow his knee to you. Look at her. Look how she's living. Look, she's spitting in your face. Look what he's doing. Look what he's doing. And, you, and he's in the same time whispering in your ear, follow me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. And there are some sitting here this morning who have bought that lie and you're still buying it. And Jesus said to his crowd then, and he's saying it again through his word, through the Holy Spirit, and through my voice, he's saying right now, don't be a hypocrite. If you're smart enough to know what the weather's going to do, be smart enough to know that the Word of God is alive and true and it's fulfilling before your eyes and you best bow your knee to Jesus soon as Lord because one day you will bow your knee to Him as judge. So I pray that if you're here this morning and you've never been saved, you've never said, Jesus, please save me. I give my life to you. I pray that today is the day of your salvation. Christians, I pray that you would join with me in discerning the times and doing your best to discerning the times and knowing the times we live in and speaking the truth of that. But Christians, listen to me. Even Christians struggle with the adversary. Amen? Even Christians. And there's a word there too. Try hard to be delivered from him. Because even though you're covered by the blood and you'll make it to heaven every day, that smut face will, will, will whisper junk in your ears to beat you down and beat you up to keep you from being as effective in the kingdom of God as you could be. He will also do his best to rob and steal your anointing and the gifts you have if you continue to follow your adversary. Try hard to be delivered from him. You've got the power in the Holy Spirit. You've got the power with the armor of God. Brother Greg's been preaching about every Wednesday night here. Discern the times we live in. This is not a time for Christians to play around with the Word of God anymore. If there ever was a time, it certainly isn't now. It's not a time for the church to play around. But it is a time to sit at the feet of Jesus and say, show me how now, Lord, in these days that you've trusted me with, that I can live to lift you up. Y'all bow your heads with me and pray.